0: Today we are, uh, we're going to wrap up this series about not being normal. And I want to pray very specifically because at the end, I I have a strong call of commitment for us, church. I don't want to preach and just wrap up and say, okay, we're done, now go and do it. And so we're going to have a time of commitment, and so I want to ask God right now to start preparing our minds and our hearts for this. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, we've been on this journey just... uh, pursuing how do we live in this life and not go down the road of this normal culture that we live in. And so in order to do that, Lord, we want to swim upstream, and and that means we're going to have to be weird. We're going to have to do things your way. And in our culture, to do things your way, we're seen as weird. But Lord, we, we want to do it your way and not the world's way. And so God, I just ask that you would speak in this room to us, You'd bring a mess, message forward to every one of us in this room, rather, whether this is the first time we've been in this place or we've been here multiple times or been coming for years. And God, as we hear your word, and I ask that you help us to be doers, Father, we're going to have this time of commitment as we wrap up this series. And I pray right now that you start preparing our minds and our hearts to respond to the commitment that you call us to. And so, God, we just commit this time, we commit this, this message time to you. I ask that you speak in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The article was titled, Why Selfish People Are Happier and Healthier. I saw that, and surely it caught my eye. Selfish people are happier and healthier. Let me share some of the article with you. Selfish people treat others badly, don't have any real friends and our incapable of love, right? Wrong. We've been programmed to feel like putting our own needs first is reprehensible, shameful, wicked. As a result, we often default to putting the wants and needs of others before our own to the detriment of our well-being. In the long run, prioritizing self-care is necessary in order to pursue our purpose and be generous to others. Here are six things to remember the next time you find yourself feeling guilty about doing what you need to do. Number one, it improves your most important relationship. Being selfish is about connecting with, pleasing, entertaining, and loving yourself. When you do this, you prove to yourself that you deserve to be treated well. And I should have stopped right there at the article. But I kept reading because it was just somewhat intriguing to go, what kind of worldly thinking is going on here? It creates an expectation of happiness. Trying to please others is a recipe for frustration, stress, and disappointment. Everyone has different opinions about what you should do or how you should behave, so it's fundamentally impossible to make everyone happy. On top of that, constantly putting others before yourself keeps you from living the life you desire. So kind of mixing some worldly ideas and thoughts with maybe a little bit of truth here and there number three it puts you in a habit of listening to your inner voice when you only have one person to please decision making becomes infinitely easier when you practice making choices based on your desires you become much more in tune with your internal compass it's a self-sustaining cycle by then i'm going why am i continue reading this article but i continue to read on number four it frees your loved ones to care for themselves rather than for you because if you're selfish, then they can just take care of themselves and you take care of yourself. Taking responsibility for your own well-being takes the weight off of your shoulders of those who love you. So when you start taking care of yourself, they don't have to worry about you anymore. Number five, it better equips you to be of service. We can't give what we don't have. How can we help anyone else find peace of mind if we don't have it? Again, mixing some truth maybe with some reality and then some crazy thinking. I'm like, this article is really goofy. It's all over the place. And then number six hit. It allows you to stop blaming others for your unhappiness. Did you all remember the title to the article? Why Selfish People Are Happier and Healthier. Why Selfish People Are Happier and Healthier. But number six, it allows you to stop blaming others for your unhappiness. Now, I, I, I stop and I'm like, do I understand this article correctly? Selfishness will help you get to the place where you can blame yourself for your unhappiness. Stop and think about it for a moment. There's some crazy stuff that's written out in this world. There's some philosophies and some teachings out there that we read sometimes, and we start to embrace this stuff, and we go, well, this makes a whole lot of sense to me. And this is why selfish people are happier and healthier. Have you ever noticed that it's easy to recognize or point out selfishness in somebody else, but not in yourself? You ever notice how you're like, man, that person is so selfish. They just have to take care of themselves. But then, no, I'm not a selfish person. If I were to walk around and ask you, if we were to have a conversation, I said, are you selfish? Most say, I'm not selfish. No way. I do this, this, and this, and this, and this for all these other people. Truth be told, all of us have a battle or a struggle with selfishness. Every single one of us struggle with that in some way because selfishness is normal. That's what our culture teaches. Take care of me, myself, and I. That's what this article is saying. You take care of yourself, you take care of yourself, you'll be happy. But Jesus said exactly the opposite should characterize us. In Luke chapter 9, he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny, what does it say? Himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of me, then you're not going to be living for self. You're going to be living for me. You're going to be setting aside what you want. You're going to follow the desires of God. John MacArthur said, the true gospel is a call to self-denial. It's not a call to self-fulfillment. But in our culture today, what is it? I want to be self-fulfilled, make me happy. What's going to take care of me and my want? But that's not normal. Self-denial, I mean, who wants that? Nobody walks in a bookstore and says, can you show me where the self-denial section is, please? We don't go looking for that. How do I live a life of self-denial? It's normal today for people to be self-centered and self-absorbed and self-indulgent and self-serving and self-satisfied and view themselves as completely self-sufficient. That's what the normal is. That's what our culture teaches us. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11 as we continue to learn the great wisdom from the wisdom literature about finances, about how to live life. Today's message is the exact opposite of this idea of selfishness, that selfish is normal, but don't be normal. Be weird and actually be generous instead of just worrying about me, myself, and I. Proverbs chapter 11, starting at verse 24, says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only win, and the fool will be servant to the wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. If the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. This whole little section there in Proverbs is, is really talking about the wisdom of generosity, the wisdom of being kind, the wisdom of, of how to manage finances. But I want you to notice verse 24 and 25 specifically. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes only to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, if you understand what that's saying, it seems like it's saying if I have and I give to others, if I'm a blessing, then I will be blessed even more. But if I hold back and I hold on to that, then I'm going to be facing poverty. I'll have even less. And you might be saying, wait a minute, preacher. Hold on a second, Brian. The more we give away, is what you're telling me, is the more we give away, the more we're going to have? Nope, I'm not telling you that. The Bible's telling you that. That's what Scripture says. You you may be thinking, wait a minute, hold on a minute, Brian. The more we're selfish, the less we're going to have. That's what you're telling me? No, again, I'm not telling you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you are a blessing, the more you will be blessed. And when you are not a blessing, then the less you're going to have. Chris Hogan in his book, Everyday Millionaire, said, we have a crisis of responsibility in this country today more and more. It seems like we as a society care more about assigning blame for our problems than finding solutions for our problems. Can't get a job? It's the economy's fault. Even if you never went to college, haven't read a book since high school. Can't lose weight? It's the food industry's fault. Even if you never worked out and eat nothing but fast food. Can't get ahead financially? It's the wealthy's fault. Even if you maxed out your credit card and car loans to support your high-end lifestyle. Can't win a golf game? It's because of the wind. Rear in another car at stoplight? It's because the other guy hit his brakes too fast. Fail a test? It's because the teacher's out to get you. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sure, we've all been there. We've all played the blame game at some time or another in life that says, well, my situation is because versus owning up to it. President Ronald Reagan once said, We must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than a lawbreaker. It is time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. That doesn't seem likely in our culture today. We love holding others accountable for our missteps. He said that back in the early 1980s. And things haven't changed, they just have escalated. This is going to sound weird. But let me just tell you, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what position you're coming from, no matter what's been done to you or what hasn't been done to you, if you want to solve your financial problems, you can't blame anybody else. If we're going to choose not to be normal and say it's time to live a life of being weird, then the blame game has to stop. We have to accept responsibility, and we have some decisions to make. We have some commitments to make. Chris Hogan continued in his book, and he said in 1991... My college football team won a national championship. We had worked hard and played hard all season, and we became the first team in the school's history to win a national title. We were pumped. All the blood, sweat, and tears we left on the field all year had paid off, and those teammates had become like brothers to me. To commemorate the incredible year we had, all the guys decided to get a tattoo on their legs, a constant reminder of what we had achieved together. I wanted that tiger paw tattoo more than almost anything, but I couldn't do it. As the guys left for that tattoo parlor, I could hear some of them saying, hey, Hogan's not coming. I don't think I've ever felt more left out in my life. So why didn't I go? Well, I planned on becoming an FBI agent that meant as a college student, I had to be intentional about decisions I made. I couldn't get a victory tattoo because I couldn't get any permanent distinguishing marks on my body. That tiger paw, cool as it was, could have gotten me killed in a line of duty. As much as I wanted to join my brothers in celebrating our victory, I had another goal in mind. A long-term goal that directed my, my, many of my decisions I made as a young man. Let me tell you what I've noticed and observed in 25 plus years of ministry it's not that people don't have good goals. It's not that people don't want to honor God and follow the Bible and do what he wants us to do. It's not that. It's not that we don't want to achieve some stu- some great stuff and do some wonderful things. It's that we make a lot of stupid decisions between where we are now and where we see us going down the road. In other words, we lose sight of what's coming down the road a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. We put goals in place and say, well, in five years I want to do this, or in ten years I want to be here. But between here and there is a long distance, and so we get sidetracked. We forget the direction of where we're going. And for us to understand, if we're going to be biblical and we follow God's example and what God's calling us to of being weird compared to our culture that it takes us making some decisions. It takes us looking down the road and saying, I don't want to be selfish. I want to do things God's ways. It takes us being intentional and saying, I want to make some good decisions and then start reaching for those goals instead of ruining them. So if we're ready to be weird, I want to recap a few things we've learned and then close up with a challenge today. If we're going to do this, if we're going to be weird, we need to put God first. We must put God First and everything. I'm not talking about some slogan. I'm not talking about wearing a t-shirt or a Jesus shirt or wearing some wristband. Somebody this week said to me, Brian, we should have got t-shirts made that say, be weird. And that's not a bad idea. But all of us have the t shirt All of us have the wristband. All of us have the moment where we're like, "Yeah, I want to do that," and I got this. But are we doing it? What I'm talking about, we put God first. Is are we really going to put Him first and quit playing games and say, "I'm really going to do this"? Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and what, and all these things will be added to you." He didn't say, seek what your employer wants. He didn't say, seek your college choices. He didn't say, seek some other um, teaching or some other philosophy. He said, seek first what? The kingdom of God. His righteousness. And when we do that, then these other things will be added to us. How do we do that? How do we go about putting God first? Well, we need to put God first in every day. When you wake up in the morning, is it, man, good morning, God? I'm so glad I'm awake. I I'm get a chance to talk to you, or is it, oh, good Lord, Lord, it's morning. There's a difference. Do you wake up ready to face the day and so excited to get a chance to talk to God? Do you wake up in the morning, alarm goes off, is it snooze, 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 or is it, you know what? Nope, God, I'm awake. I'm gonna lay here for a moment as I wake up. You and I are gonna start talking. And then I'm going to move into some time of reading my Bible. I'm moving into some time of worship, various things like that, where you can spend some time with God. You give God the first part of every day. You give God the first word in every decision. Every decision, Lord, do I go here? Do I go there? Lord, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I talk to Him first and seek Him? That's how we know He's first. That when we stop, we go, Lord, I'm giving You that first part of every decision. You give God the first day of every week. You know what today is? What's today? first day of the week. It's Sunday. And we worship on Sunday because this is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. But this is the first day of the week. And so we give him the first day of the week. And what's happened in American culture is the average active Christ-following Christian does this about 1.5 times a month. How healthy are we by doing that? Because we're distracted with ball games and trips and sleeping in and whatever else it is, we say, eh, I'll get there maybe next week. I'm tired today. Oh, it was a long week. We should give God the first day of every week. We give God the first portion, the first fruits of our income every week. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. We give God the first place in our heart. God, I don't want anything else to have my heart but you. I want you to be first in that. We talked about Chick-fil-A, one of the most profitable fast food chains in America and now spreading out to the world, started in the malls. And when they started in the malls and they said, We're going to be closed on Sundays, the mall said, You can't do that. You'll never survive. Yes, we will. And now Chick fil A's all over the world, and they have self standing stores, and they're not open on Sunday. You know why? They're giving God the first day of the week. They're encouraging their employees. You take the first day of the week. You take that first day of the week for what? For worship and for the day of rest, as God calls us to. See, that's not normal, especially in the restaurant industry. How many hours can we be open? Oh, no, Sunday, man, you've got to catch the crowd. a lot of people eat out on Sunday. Chick-fil-A is a Christian company ran by Christians who understand the idea of first things and the idea of first fruits and the first day of the week. It all belonged to God. And so they give God the first, and God has blessed them tremendously. I totally get it. Selfish is normal. Looking out for myself, taking care of myself. A matter of fact, if I don't look out for myself, if I don't care for myself, if I don't take care of me, then who's going to do that? God. Yes. Yes. When we let go and say, "God, I got to start letting you just take care of me." He will do that. Jesus said, don't be normal. Put God first and watch what happens. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness will be added to you. If we're going to be weird, instead of being normal, we need to decide, put God first, but also we need to decide to bring the first fruits back to God. Proverbs chapter 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then... Your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Exodus 23, 19 says, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. I want you to notice something here. First of all, notice the, the first word in Exodus 23. What is that first word there? What is it? Bring. The first word is bring. What do we say most of the time, though? Well, God, I'm giving my. I'm giving my offering, but the scripture only uses the word "bring." But well, what's the difference? Tim Liston illustrates this. He said, "I used my dad's power washer to clean my driveway and back patio a few months back. Can you imagine me when I was finishing loading it up in my truck, driving to his house and saying, "Dad, come out here. You've been great parents, and I have something I want to give you. Just to show you how awesome you are, here's a power washer. Tim said, my dad would say, you need to take a day off because you're losing your mind. Why is that? Because you can't give someone something that already belongs to them. And the power washer belonged to his dad. He was actually bringing it back because he borrowed it from his dad. He just bring it back. Eight times in Scripture, God says, bring the tithe in Deuteronomy and 2 Chronicles and, and Nehemiah and Amos and Malachi. And when you get to the New Testament, Jesus said, you keep bringing that tithe while you love and practice justice and mercy. Don't set that aside. Why? Because it all belongs to God. The house you're in, the cars you drive, the job you have, the paycheck you get, it all belongs to God. He says, you bring a tithe. A tithe means 10%. So you made $100 that week, you bring $10. You made $1,000, you bring $100. We don't designate it, we don't direct it. It belongs to God. And he says, bring it. He says, bring it to my house. Not to your house, not to someone else's house, not to some other place. You bring it to my house, the storehouse. And that is the place where you worship. That's where you worship at. You bring the tithe, the place where you worship. Why? Because it belongs to God. And so you bring back what he's already put in your hands. Let me ask you something. How do you feel when you've loaned something out to somebody and they don't bring it back? You ever had that experience? Always have, probably. Loan out a tool, loan out your car, or loan something to somebody, and you're like, You're going to bring this back to me? It's frustrating. I know some people who say, I don't loan anything out anymore. Why don't you know? Because I'm loaning it out and it's all over the city and my cousin doesn't bring it back. My brother doesn't bring it back. They never said, Give it back. They, say, they don't bring it. And so when they do, I'm just not going to bring it back. Now i got to admit, I've been bad about this sometimes. I've borrowed something from somebody and gone to my garage like eight months later. and went, oh my goodness, I still have their tool. I need to bring that back to them. I've got to get it back in their hands. And probably we've all have done that at some time or another. Could you imagine loaning out your car to somebody? You loan it out. They take it for a week. They call you up and say, hey, can I stop by for a minute? i got, I got something I want to I give you. They pull up and say, look. I want to give you this really nice car. You'd be like, it's my car. Well, you're not giving me anything new. You're bringing my car back. That's what a tithe is. God says, listen, I own it all anyway. And so I'm giving you this. Now I want you to bring back. I believe there are millions of Christians who have God's stuff. Have it stored away in their garages stored away in their storage buildings, stored away in their houses, have gone on vacations with God's stuff. I mean, we have God's stuff because they say, wait a minute, I'm supposed to bring this to God, but God, boy, I want to spend your money, so I'm going to go buy me some stuff. And God's like, that's my stuff. And we just kind of ignore that. See, we bring the best, and he'll take care of the rest. We bring the best, he'll take care of the rest. I had a conversation after Sunday morning first service, someone walking out, and they're like, Brian, this is going to like a major adjustment in my life. I said, yeah, it is. It is. They said, I, I, I think I can do it. I'm not sure how. I said, we're going to walk in faith then. See, there's a blessing that comes when we bring our first fruits back to God. Notice in Proverbs 3 again. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. There's a key little word there. What's next? Then. Then. You honor the Lord, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, when you honor the Lord of the first fruits, he'll bless you beyond what you could ever imagine. Now, don't hear that and say, well, that means I'm going to get a brand new house and a brand new car, I'm going to go on vacations to wherever. No, he's going to bless us sometimes beyond what we even can understand. It might be something financial. It might be your car lasts longer. It might be a a pay raise. Who knows? But God says, "I'll, I'll take care of you. When you trust me with your life, when you put me first, I'm going to take you. We bring the first fruits. We give him the best, trusting in faith that, he'll, faith that he'll bless the rest. And the first fruits belong to God. That's why I believe you tithe off of your gross income. That's the question sometimes people ask me as a preacher. Well, do I tithe off the gross or do I tithe off the net? What well, do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? Stop and think about it. What happens? What's the distance between a gross income and a net income? Well, you get your gross income, taxes come out, quite a bit of them. 401 probably comes out if you have an investment account. Maybe some forced savings, or you got your, your employer sending some money off to savings, or you're doing it yourself. And so all this stuff comes out first, maybe, maybe a forced payment, especially if you went maybe through a bankruptcy or your default on some loan, and you're like, hey, we got to now garnish your wages. So that comes out, and then the net is at the bottom of that. But see, if God's going to be first, we say, whoa, God, you got to get off of the gross because I can't let all this other stuff come out before you. That's my personal understanding, my personal belief. You might think, but Brian, i got this, this stack of bills, and how am I going to pay those bills? How am I going to do that? I'm surely going to miss out on these bills. Well, if you put God first, I believe He'll show you how to pay those bills. We tithe because we want God to be first in our lives. We bring Him the first fruits to God. He blesses, He provides, He protects. That doesn't mean we won't have tests. It doesn't mean we won't have trials. It doesn't mean we won't have troubles. But what it does mean is that he's walking with us in that. That means he's seeing the burdens. That means he's carrying the burdens. And that means he'll turn burdens into blessings. It takes faith. It takes faith to sit down whenever your payday comes and say, God, you get the first fruits. But Malachi 3.10 says, God says, test me in this. God says, you test me. This is one time in Scripture it's like, we're allowed to test God. Wait a minute, God, I can actually put you to the test? Yep, I encourage you to put God to the test. I'm going to ask make a commitment in this area of life here in a few moments. And maybe you say, God, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to put you to the test for the next month. I'm going to put you to the test for the next six months. I'm going to put you to the test for the next year. I'm going to see if this is true. Test me this. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you'll not have enough room for it. In other words, God's like, you test me and you see if I don't take care of you. Now, some of you have heard this story before. Some of you are new and you haven't heard this story, but I share it because it was the impactful moment in my life where tithing was just signed, sealed, and delivered in my life. I was 12 years old. I have a brother who's two and a half years older and a sister who's five years older. So we are all teenagers or right on that step of teenagers when my dad at two in the morning working for a trucking company um, Teamsters Union, they came at 2 in the morning and said, Glenn, we're closing up shop. Don't have enough business. Company's shutting down with three teenagers at home. And he came home at 2 o'clock in the morning because he worked midnights, and my mom's like, what are you doing home? It's 2 in the morning. Honey, th- we've lost our job. Get through that, you know the fear of that. You know the how are we going to make it, how are we going to pay the bills. My mom was working at McDonald's at the time. Not making much working at McDonald's. And my dad, nominal churchgoer, believed in Jesus, but because of job and because of different life situations, wasn't highly involved in the church, but called up the preacher of the church that married my mom and dad. His name was Brother Jim. That's what they used to call the preacher back in the day. Brother Jim. Brother Jim, can we talk? We went to Brother Jim's office, walked in that office, and you know, the big executive type desk. <laughs> That's how they used to have those big executive desk preachers sitting behind the desk. And he says, Brother Jim, I've lost my job. I don't know what to do. I've got three kids at home. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how to pay the bills. And my dad, as he tells the story, he said, Brother Jim sat up and leaned up on that table and said, Glenn, let me ask you something. Okay, what's, what's the question? Do you tithe? And I can imagine my dad going, tithe? you are got to be nuts. No, I don't tithe. How many money tithe on now? Glenn, have you gotten your un- unemployment check yet? No, not yet. Your first unemployment check, you start tithing, and I think God will take care of you. And I can remember at twelve years old, my dad coming home, sitting on the kitchen table or sitting at the kitchen table, and he shared that story. Kids, here's what we're going to do: we're going to trust God more in the middle of this journey. He'd pull out the white sheet of paper, blue lines. We all have, we know, familiar notebook paper, and he would write at the top in the margin at the top, the little white area up there, he would write the word tithe in it with a pencil, and then he would write mortgage. He'd write electric bill, gas bill, and line up all the rest of the bills. And he would write that number every single week, tithe. And I can remember sitting at the dining room table every week. It was before the age of the computer and all that stuff. Every week, he wrote that down. And he started tithing off the unemployment check. And for the next 10 to 12 years, my dad worked. He worked with what they call as a 10 percenter once he kind of got back in line, which meant he was on call for work. Never knew, was he going to work for this trucking company, this one, or this one. But whoever called, then he would go to work. And he would tell you if he was alive today, he would tell you, I never missed a bill. Never missed a bill. And today, my mom lives off my dad's retirement and Social Security, and I never have to worry about her. And I truly believe it's because God got this area in his life in line. My dad said, nope, I'm not going to do it my way any longer. Now, I'm not preaching about something with you that I don't believe is biblical truth and telling you to do it and not do it in my own life. I know there are some preachers who say, well, no, I give my life to the church. Man, I've served the church, and I preach, and I do all this, so I don't have to do this. No, I don't see a pass for the preacher. I see God saying, Brian, you need to be doing this too. And we as preachers have to evaluate the nurse in our lives. And I was working on my sermon this week. I, I think it was Thursday. I was at my computer, and I was typing, and I just kind of got stopped in my tracks. And just this little small voice in my head. I think I would say it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. said, so how are you doing in this area? like, I'm good. Trying to type, stuck, couldn't think of anything else to write. How are you doing in this area? I'm fine. Have you evaluated it lately? I'm good. Couldn't write. This went on for like an hour and a half. Kelly, you don't even know this because you were doing whatever else up there, you know, in the, in the other office. For an hour and a half, I sat there wrestling with God. Like, I'm good, but I couldn't move on in the sermon. And so I pulled out my calculator and I started just evaluating because I set up my my, uh, my tithe to bring it to the church as an automatic, uh, right from my bank, just to be sent on an automatic schedule. If you need help uh, getting disciplined, that's a great thing to do, set up as an automatic schedule. And so it's just been going. I've been doing it for some years, and every year I adjust the number a little bit, but I didn't sit down and just run the numbers. I said, well, let me run the numbers. Okay, I make this much, and my wife brings in this, and a little side business over here, and started running the numbers, and it was like, Brian, you're, you're, you're missing the mark. And you're missing a mark by by a good little amount. And I sat there and I said, "But come on, God, but I'm good enough. It's it's close. It's close. It really is, God. I'm fine." Because God, we're trying to save money for this, and we're trying to pay off this bill, and we're trying to pay off this debt. And 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 I had my whole list of excuses, and I could not move forward in that sermon, the one I'm sharing with you right now, until God and I dealt with this. And He said, "Are you going to preach it with truth, or are you going to be a liar up there?" That was the question: Are you going to preach the truth, or are you going to be a liar? And I can't stand up here and tell you, hey, you need to be doing this if I'm not doing it in my own life. And so right there, I pulled up my bank account, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to adjust it right now. Bam. That was Thursday, sometime morning afternoon, making an adjustment, need a change. Talked to Brian and said, we need to make a change. And of course, the first question was, how are we going to do, dot, 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 dot. Well, I don't know, but if I'm going to preach it, we got to live it. And if we really believe that we do this in faith, then he's going to take care of all these other desires of the I want to do this, this, and this, and this. Church, you can do it. You can do it. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is what? It's impossible. It's impossible to please Him if we don't journey in faith. And what happens is, well, I can't do this in my life because I have, bam, 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 going on in my life. And, when, and the Scripture says, I've got to walk in faith. When I walk in faith, He says, you're pleasing me. But it's impossible to please Him unless we walk in that journey of faith. And tithing, putting God first, this idea is all about walking in faith. And there's one last area, if we're going to set aside selfishness, is that we must be generous. Now this is going to sound a little weird, especially given the fact that we live in this age of a a participation trophy age where if you just participate, then you get a trophy. It doesn't matter what place you got into or whatever. We just think, hey, everyone should be blessed. Everyone should get the reward. But that doesn't align with Scripture. Luke 17, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes from the field, come along now sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you say, you may eat and drink. Will he... Thank the servant because he did what he was told to do. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, "We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty." I think when you look at this idea of tithing, that's our that's our duty. That's what we that's what we're told to do. Look closely at verse 10. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Lord, we are unworthy servants that we get to worship you and honor you and that Jesus went to the cross and died for me. I'm so unworthy. Don't miss this. Tithing is bringing back what already belongs to him. This is what we're supposed to do as his servants. We should just be like that servant and say, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm just doing my duty. We bring that tithe back. It's a statement of faith. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I put my life in your hands. It's what we give above the tithe that initiates something altogether differently. You say, wait a minute, Brian. I'm not even doing the tithe yet. Now you're telling me to do the tithe and I will go above and beyond? See, tithing is an issue of obedience. We're doing what unworthy servants would do. We're we're doing what God says to do. But generosity? Generosity moves us to a whole new level. I'm not saying if someone's tithing, we're doing something wrong. Not at all. Every single one of us should be there. What I'm saying is we should give, give above and beyond the tithe. We should be, be simply returning to God what is His, but then also saying, God, how do I go above and beyond this? Generosity triggers something that's beyond. Generosity triggers the supernatural. There's just something better than just doing what you're supposed to do. Think about it with your kids. When you say to your kids, hey, clean up your room. And they go upstairs and clean up your room, you're like, oh, good, they clean your room. But if they went up and cleaned your room and then came down and cleaned the kitchen, oh, right? Something big's happening. Or if they went up and cleaned your room and then came downstairs and cleaned the kitchen, then mowed the grass, oh, my, I'm gonna have a heart attack. So they're doing what they're supposed to do, but then they take it above and beyond. Proverbs 22, 9 says, whoever has bountiful eye shall be blessed. The King James says, a generous eye. In other words, our eyes are roaming around going, how can I bless some other people? How can I be generous into my society? Proverbs 11, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So when you say, I want to be a blessing, you you will be blessed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous just sometimes. Is that what it says? What's it say? Every occasion. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Every time you have an opportunity, you say, I can bless somebody, I can can help somebody. This is going to sound weird. But we're not encouraged to be generous. We're actually commanded to be generous. So that means I bring my tithe to the storehouse. I bring my tithe, but then my eyes are open going, God, where can I be generous who who needs help maybe a, a friend is in need maybe i'm at a store and i buy somebody's grocery maybe i know a ministry that i'm going to start supporting this ministry i'm going to do some other generosity type things this is why in scripture or this is why in, in our church we do other givings other than just for sunday because we're like we want to teach you to be generous to go above and beyond 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In the same way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly Life. This is Paul instructing Timothy, the young preacher. He says, You command those who are rich in this world not be arrogant, put their hope in wealth, but what? To be generous, to go and be a blessing. Paul said to him in verse 7, For we brought nothing in the world, we can take nothing out of it. And then he goes in this whole thing about being generous. Listen, there's no sense in building up your life to have all this stuff because when you die, the hearse isn't going with you to the grave, somebody else is going to get all the stuff. And so why not be generous? That's what Paul is instructing in church. Why would I preach a series about finances and talk about this? Because just as Timothy, the young preacher, was instructed by Paul in commanding people, here's how you handle your money according to God's way. I must be obedient to Scripture and teach it to you, the church. I'm commanded to do this. I'm commanded to discuss this topic with us because our world and the normalcy of the world doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so we want to live in generosity. So when we do things like generosity feeds, and last year we raised over $30,000, in fact, 31,000 meals And we ask you to give towards that. And we go to businesses and ask them to support and be part of that. That's about helping people be generous. Or when we say, hey, we're going to send this group onto a mission trip, and would you give to that? We're asking you to give above and beyond bringing your tithe to be generous. My son got a chance to experience your generosity this year as he's in India. And many of you said, hey, we want to help you. We want to help you. We want to help you. That's the generosity that he's talking about, going above and beyond being a blessing so you can point someone to Christ, we put God first, we overcome selfishness. We bring the tithe, the first fruit back to God, we start to overcome selfishness. When we start living in a life of generosity, we overcome selfishness. We walk in what's known as weird versus following normal